Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. When we, uh, in English culture, when we uh, read articles, blog posts or opinion uh, columns, um, very often the point of the article or the blog is put at the very end, isn't it? Is there's kind of like that one line zinger sentence where everything kind of culminates and you're left with that. Or in films very often, it kind of is it's all leading to the climax. The, the end of the film is where the climax, the point really happens. There's a plot twist, there's the end, someone's victorious or whatever. That's in our culture. In Hebrew culture, the main point was actually normally put in the middle. So if you wanted to make a point in, in poetry or in the Psalms or in a song, actually the main point was normally placed in the very middle of the piece of literature. There's no right or wrong, it's just different cultures. And so when James, with his Hebrew culture, is writing this letter, he puts his main point at the very heart, the very centre of his letter, which is where we get to today. And James's heart, his passion, his driving motivation to write this letter is to teach us what real faith actually looks at. He starts at the beginning of the letter with teaching on faith and what faith looks like and how to believe. And at the very end of the letter, he comes back to teaching about faith and believing faith as you pray. And in this very centre, he has this elongated section unpacking some of the issues for his church and the churches around Jerusalem as to what real faith looks like, which is why we've called this series Real Faith. We're not trying to be original. We're just trying to be faithful to the Bible here. And so James, in this passage, unpacks for us. And in our day, I mean, you talk to most people and they will basically say something like all faiths are generally equal. You know, they've got some different variations but all faiths are generally equal. James would actually disagree. He would say not all faiths are actually equal. In fact, he's going to tell us in a moment that some faith is a dead kind of faith and some faith is a living faith. And we might dismiss, dismiss James because, well, he lived 2,000 years ago, so why would we listen to him today? Because we have so much more advancement in thinking and technology, etc. You know, he doesn't understand today's culture, and we might want to dismiss him because he writes some 2,000 years ago. I want to suggest that this James, who actually does counter some of today's thinking, I want to suggest someone like James is actually very useful to listen to. Why? Because he doesn't live in our cultural moment, so he doesn't have the same kind of pressures on him from the society. He doesn't have the same kind of thing. He hasn't grown up with the same kind of uh, a zeitgeist in this cultural moment, so he thinks freshly without the kind of pressures that we have. I want to suggest he's actually a very useful voice for us to listen to when we are thinking about faith. Whether you're a Christian here today, or whether you're not a Christian, or whether you're not sure whether you have faith, or even faith is a good thing to have, I think listening to James as someone who is outside of our current culture is a very useful thing to do. So he says this, I mean very sharply, he says that some faith is actually dead so he says this in verse 17 so also faith by itself is it does if it does not have works is dead and he says it again in verse 26 for as the body apart from the spirit is dead so you see a corpse lying there the spirit's gone the body's there he's saying that's what some people's faith looks like he says so also faith apart from works is dead 
So he has this category for a dead kind of faith, and he also then has a category for a living and effective faith, because at the very start of this passage, he asks this rhetorical question when he says in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have work? The, the good there is the benefit. What gain do you get? The rhetorical question, there is some gain in a certain type of faith. So what I want to do is really just talk about three, time, three types of of dead faith and then I want to talk about this living faith my suggestion being that we want to move towards the living faith because when you look at the teaching of faith through James there is a lot to be gained through a a living fruitful faith let me just read some of these things at the very beginning of the letter he says this count it all joy my brothers and sisters when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness so faith can actually give you steadfastness and it lets steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing so faith can actually leave you as a person mature in your life or do you want wisdom? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God to give generously to without approach, but let him ask in faith. So faith can actually be the road to, towards wisdom. Do you want to inherit the kingdom of God? Let me read you James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So faith is the means by which we inherit the kingdom of God of God let me just read one more there's others but at the very end James 5 he says this and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven so prayer has a power as we talk to God to affect change in people's lives if you want to be someone who can be effectual in your life and be an influencer in your life faith is the means to do that Amen. so three types of dead faith one type of living faith and how we get there okay simples are we all together all on this all right thank you one type of dead faith the first is this and this is probably the most common in our day it's believing in ourselves it's believe in yourself and work hard and you can achieve what you want to isn't that today's mantra i was scrolling through instagram which is generally i guess not a very good like i was just doing you know and you're like i'm just now lost and then this thing popped up anthony hopkins you know anthony hopkins the british actor um won loads of awards and you might have seen this i don't know but it it it, it took my attention with the kind of visceral passion with which he addressed the camera he was preaching to the camera and this is what he said almost shaking whatever you want to do believe it believe it even if you don't believe it play the game believe and act as if you do believe that is power that is sheer power and it will happen believe you me from an old fool like me it has worked in my life it will work in your life so never give up believe 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 which sums up doesn't it the general moment that we're living in believe in yourself and your life will work out okay anthony hopkins take it from him it works for him 
So follow him, believe in yourself, back yourself, and it will work out for you. There are a number of problems with this, but let me just say a, a few. The first thing is this, that biblically this doesn't stack up because belief and faith in the Bible is not believing in me, but it is actually choosing to believe in God another. Our generation puts trust in us. Previous generations said, no, no, the preaching is believe in God. Faith is not a thing by itself, it has an object. And we have inverted the object of faith from God to ourselves. So biblically, firstly, this doesn't match up. The second thing is this. It's actually just not true. Believe in yourself and everything will work out. Because those who tell us that are those who have achieved, like Anthony Hopkins who have actually had the fortune and the success and the privilege and the access and whatever it was that meant that they did succeed. And they are the ones who are telling, if we were to road test this philosophy, believe in yourself, whatever you want to happen, if we were to road test this in the outskirts of Kiev right now with families, with parents are being used as human shields. And he said, what you guys need to do is believe in yourself and things will work out okay you begin to realise the absurdity of this worldview. We're telling a mother in Somalia who can't feed her children and has no access to food or no social power to get food and say, no, what you need to do, here's what Anthony Hopkins says, you need to believe in yourself, listen to him and everything will work out for you. And we begin to realise the absurdity of this kind of mantra that we continually tell ourselves any any apprentice fans in the house few i think i think people are generally waning on the apprentice but we're still going strong we still love it so we watched this last episode and um harpreet she won and i think deserving winner she's she's amazing i'm sure she's going to do really well but you know like they get fired and they have to go home in the cab and then the last one gets hired and they get to go home in alan sugar's bentley and so she's sitting there and she presses the button the door closes and everything's fine and what does she say to the camera what everyone else says when they happen to win something. This just goes to show that you need to believe in yourself and work hard. And look, it works. At which point I want to say, well, what about the other 14 candidates who equally seemed to believe in themselves, who equally seemed to work as hard as you, Harpreet? What does it say about them? Are you saying they didn't believe? Are you saying they didn't work as hard? Which takes me to my third problem with this. If you do actually believe that, you will live your life one of two things. You will either live proud and puffed up because, well, it's working out for you. And if someone else isn't living the kind of life that they want, well, maybe they're just not believing in themselves or working hard enough. You will look down on, your, on others. Or you will live crushed, thinking, why isn't it working for me? I seem to be doing what they're saying. It's a dead kind of faith. Believe in ourselves. So that's the first thing. The second time of faith that is a dead kind of faith is faith as simple mental assent. Simply saying, yes, I acknowledge that those things are true and that's where it stays. And James goes to an in interesting place here because he says in verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, well, show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. 
That's orthodox Christian belief. He says, you do well. I think he's being slightly sarcastic here. Even the demons believe and shudder. <laughs> Amazing. He's saying, did you know that the demonic beings in the heavenly realm right now, they have orthodox belief and are in hell? Because the demons, they see God clearly. They see truth clearly. They see reality clearly. They know Trinitarian belief. They know orthodox evangelical belief. And yet they are in hell. So mental ascent is not the only thing. There has to be an action, a receiving of faith, where it becomes a living personal thing that we begin to follow. Me growing up, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church from the age of zero, doing all the Christian churchy beacons, colouring in sheety type of things, learning all the Bible stories. I knew about the Bible. I knew about Christianity. I got to my teenage years and I was still going to, to church. And yet church essentially was an hour with my parents on a Sunday. And then I got on with the rest of my life. Essentially, for me as a teenager, just trying to keep a low profile, hoping no one would notice that I'm going to church on a Sunday. Maybe if someone asked me, yes, I'm a Christian, but no one would ever know that because I made sure they didn't know that because I didn't want them to know that. It was a, it was a dead kind of faith. It was only when the pastor challenged me to read the Bible for myself and actually find out about Jesus that something began to live. Some shoots of life began to spring up in my heart as I saw the glory of this man, Jesus Christ, and things began to melt and change. And I think it, it was only at that point that my faith, faith be, became alive. It is possible to say, yes, I love you, Jesus and yet for our hearts to be far from him. Jesus condemned and preached against people who were in the synagogue, acknowledging the glory of God, and yet at the same time mistreating people, being part of injustice, and saying, you say you worship me with your lips, but your heart, they're, they're nowhere near me. So it is possible to have just a mental ascent, and it's a, it's a dead kind of faith. Jesus didn't die on the cross, and then rise again and then ascend to the father just so that we could have like a creed to believe in hey here's your usp as christianity you've got a god who died and then rose again that's your thing as opposed to buddhism or islam it's like hey you need something to believe in i'll give you something great to believe in if you follow this believe in that then you'll be fine no jesus christ died on the cross to do something for us to accomplish something for us there was power in his death there was power in his resurrection something actually happened there so that when we put our faith in jesus we are actually changed by experience it's not just something to be on a piece of paper it is a life to be experienced in Jesus Christ. So faith as mental ascent is, is, is simply dead. The third thing is this. This is where it gets a bit more tricky. Faith that needs topping up with works. And we might think here that James, it, it could be get confusing because James and Paul, if you've read the Bible, you might think James seems to be contradicting 
what Paul is saying because he says here in verse 24 you see that a person is justified by works and if you've been in church immediately you might have little alarm bells going off thinking hang on a minute aren't there other bible passages that say that you're justified by faith alone so Paul says see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and so you may think and many people do in their hearts think okay it works like something like this i hear the gospel i went to an alpha course i went to church someone invited me to church and i remember the time i said yes to jesus i just prayed that's all i did and i received the life and the righteousness and the gift of eternal life into my life just through faith i did nothing i just believed and i became a christian and then what happened is some people said you need to do some stuff now that's great you become a Christian, but it's also now really good to read your Bible. So here's how to read your Bible. Think, oh, okay, I've got to do something, I'll read my Bible. And also, it's really good as a Christian to pray. So here's how to pray. So you okay, okay, I've got to wake up in the morning and pray, fine, okay. And it's also really good to give to your local church. Okay, so I've got to give money, okay, that's fine. All right, and it'd be great if you came to the prayer meeting. All right, so what can happen is you think you receive Christ by faith. I did nothing, it's just a gift. And then I take my first step as a Christian and you get given this whole bunch of things to do. It's like, oh, all right. Thanks, you didn't tell me about that at the start, but okay, if that's what you've got to do as a Christian. So you get this idea that you start by faith, but you walk as a Christian by, by works. Does that make sense? Am I resonating with anyone? You know that you're in this position if you either feel very happy because you happen to read your Bible in the morning and did, you feel like you're doing well with your spiritual disciplines, or if you feel like you're slightly crushed and condemned because you don't feel like you're actually doing the kind of works. If, if that's you, if you're living this kind of up and down emotional life with God, sometimes you're confident you can pray for big things, sometimes you wish you could just hide and run away from him, you're probably living on this basis. You think you're saved by faith first and then you carry on as a Christian by works. But what we're told by Paul is that we're saved by faith from first to last. That it is faith at the beginning and it is faith in the middle and it is faith at 90% and it is faith to the point where we get to see Jesus, where we see him face to face. It is faith from beginning to end. So we've got to do something in reconciling James, who seems to be saying something slightly different, that you've, have, you've got to add works to your faith. Um, is the conundrum clear? Is anyone with me? And Pume's like, mm, tell me what you're going to say. <laughs> All right, Pume, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. I, this is how I think these things reconcile, because in the scriptures we believe that that's only one author. God himself, the Holy Spirit. And so behind all of these various human voices, there is actually one author, there is one source who speaks coherently. And so how do we reconcile these two things? Words can mean different things in different contexts, can't they? I mean, I was trying to do a mental exercise this morning. I wasn't getting very far. I was thinking I had a pen in my hand, so I was thinking pen. What could pen mean? So you can pick up a pen and write something, or you can take a pen in the World Cup, which England will do and win the World Cup, obviously. Um, you can, like rock, there's a rock on the ground, you can play rock music, you can be a rock star, you can, there are a whole, you can, so words can mean different things in different situations, right? I've been teaching that calm doesn't always mean just being calm, it can also mean 
been good recently. And then I found out that's like I'm 10 years late to that word. But anyway, you can be calm or you can be calm. Like it's calm, it's cool, it's fine. So the words can mean different things. And so I think what's going on is when Paul uses works and when James uses works, they're using it in different ways. When Paul says that you are saved by faith alone and not by works, you are not justified by works. He is saying works as in trying to achieve your own salvation. That faith says, I receive Christ as a gift. And he says that is actually opposed to trying to earn your salvation by doing things. That if I do these things, God himself will be pleased with me. And when James uses the word, uses the word works, it's actually simply, simply meaning doing stuff. It is not about earning, it is simply about doing. And faith is not opposed to doing, it is opposed to you earning your salvation. And so when James says that faith has to be accompanied with works, what he is saying is that faith never works alone. That you, the way that you know that you have true faith is that there is an outworking, something in your life begins to change. You can look back on your life and notice that my attitudes and my behaviours and my words and my language and my relationships, they've actually changed. And you're not earning your salvation through that, but you are noticing that the faith in this Jesus and the power that's now in your life is beginning to ripple out and change you as a human being. Amen. So this takes us to living and true faith. We receive Christ by faith. It is a, a gift. Faith has many metaphors in the Bible. Eating is one of them. We receive a meal in Jesus Christ. Drinking is another. Having a thirsty soul and drinking from the living waters in, in Christ. Receiving Christ is another. Looking at Christ is another. All of these things are receiving images that say, I am in need of a saviour and Christ has all of the riches that I need. He has all forgiveness, all righteousness. And as I look on him and trust in him, all of his life, all of his gain becomes my life and my gain. And then everything else begins to change. Paul puts these two things together, faith and doing like this. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, even the faith. So you might think, well, isn't faith something I have to do? No, even the faith that you first had when you put your faith in Christ is a gift from God, he says, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we trust in Christ because he has some works for us to do in this life. And as we do those works, we continue to draw down power from Christ and we draw down power from Christ and we draw down power from Christ for all is from him. And as that power enters our life, it begins to change and implicate all that we are and are about. Martin Luther, when he wrote his commentary to Romans, and he wrote a short section on faith, he says this about faith. He said, it is a living and busy and mighty thing, this faith. 
And so it is impossible for it not to do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do, but before the question arises, faith has already done them. Faith is a living and daring confidence on God's grace. So sure and certain that a man would stake his life on it a thousand times. This confidence in God's grace and knowledge of it makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and all his creatures. Hence a man is ready and glad without compulsion to do good to everyone, to serve everyone, to suffer everything in love and praise to God. And so James uses these two examples of Abraham and Rahab. Let me just read these for us. He says in verse 10, sorry, wrong chapter for starters. He says in verse 21, was not Abraham, who, by the way, is the kind of poster boy for faith, for Islam, for Judaism, for Christianity. Paul has this relentlessly long chapter in Romans 4, just talking about the faith of this man, Abraham. And he says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That is his obedience. You see that faith was active along with his works. So as he believed, it manifested itself in doing and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. The thing is with Abraham is that, and oftentimes we can airbrush out the mistakes and the moral failings of people we look up to. But when you actually read the life of Abraham, he, I mean, he was a, he morally failed big time, multiple times. It wasn't just like once, I've learned my lesson, fine, I'm, I'm clean now, I'm moving forward. He failed ethically multiple times. So he believed in God, we're told, and it was credited to him as righteous and he messed up big time. And yet God promised again and he messed up big time. And yet he promised again and he messed up big time. What does all of this say about Abraham? He wasn't saved by his achievement, by being a good moral person. He was saved by God himself. But as he walked with God, the power of God began to seep through his life and change him slowly, one degree of glory to another. So you might think, I've failed again this week. Abraham just trusted God. I just, he's all I've got. What about Rahab? We read this. You see, and so in the same way, in verse 25, in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? If you've not been in church, you haven't heard this story before, very quickly, Rahab lived in Jericho. She worked as a prostitute and Israel were coming across the Jordan to take Jericho. And they had heard of the works of the God of Israel. 
But though some of Jericho hardened their heart towards this God and wanted to destroy his people. But Rahab heard the works of God and her heart was melted and she trusted in this God. She recognized that this God of this people was the God of the heavens and the earth. And she believed in this God. And so when two spies came into the city to spy out the city and to find out what needed to happen in terms of taking this city, she hosted them in her home she misdirected soldiers she hid them in the roof of her house and then she told them that she would give them safe passage out of the city and this faith this faith that risked her own life this faith that risked her own reputation with her own people was credited to her as righteousness this was a saving type of faith not a mental ascent but a doing kind of faith that saved her and so James says this is what living faith looks like he says at the very beginning of the passage if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body he says what gain is that so someone comes and there's there's need or there's situations and you may have the power to help them there is a kind of dead faith that says i will pray for you and not lift a finger for you but a living faith says i will pray for you and i will do what i can to help you in your need it's a faith that does faith is a kind of living faith is a faith that prays always with one eye to thinking could i be the answer to this prayer could we be the answer to this prayer is there a way in which we can move towards seeing this situation this person something helped or changed charles got a note through from one of the pastors in ukraine this week and it went out on the tcl whatsapp group but i just want to read it again because he references James 1 here. And it's a, it's a, it's, this is living faith. And they talk about the silence and the, 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 the terrifying nature of the silence without bombs going off. He says, it's a silence filled with mis the misery of those left behind. We were shocked at the sight of an elderly home we visit regularly. 25 new people all thrown into a single room on a mattress on the floor without bedding, without anything except the clothes they wore. The sight, the smell, the desperation. It would be so easy just to drop off the groceries, turn your back and leave. We know they have parasites. Every time we return home, we check each other's heads. and We are, we welcome, we are welcome to the new reality of ministry in a war zone. He says, but we are following a different master and not our human instincts. My friend starts to sing. I and the other girl go around and sit with the elderly, talk with those who can, feed those who can't help themselves. All of their stories start with, my daughter left Kiev and she couldn't take me with her. The younger generation needs to live their lives. I have already lived mine. They had no place to put me, so they dropped me here. It is heartbreaking. There are so many new people that they have their names written on their arms with black markers. Song after song, we feel how God's presence is filling the room. We feel a change. 
People's bitter and painful faces ease a bit. This is all we can do for today. Tomorrow we will go to the store and pack food bags for the survivors of Bukha, one day at a time. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And he quotes James 1.27. Living faith. So if we believe that God is a generous God, whose heart is broken for the orphans and for the vulnerable and the marginalised and those who don't have means in our society, if we believe that living faith will be bent towards those people. And for each of us, it will look different, but our hearts will be melted for those on the margins of our society who need help. If we believe that God has lavished on us generously, continually, there will be an evidence of that in our lives as we begin to be generous with those around us, not under compulsion, but generosity, a moving beyond, above and beyond to say, where can I look to meet needs around me? Living faith is a kind of faith that says, if God is actually in control of all things and the heart of God is good, living faith then says, I will trust that God and I will experience a type of peace and I will not try and control my own life. Living faith is that if God has actually forgiven me my sins, if he has actually taken my sins and thrown them as far as the west is from the east, then there will be moments when I sit back and laugh, even as my life is collapsing around me, because my judgment has happened and I am favoured by God. Everything is going to work out okay. If I believe that God will one day return and he will make everything right, I will live with an ever-growing optimism even as life is painful. I will continually raise my head to the future and take hope from the coming of Christ to save us all. That everything one day will be made okay. There is a change that will happen. And this is the kind of faith that James is inviting us into. The problem that, that, that I have, his pastor confession time now, is that I'm preaching a type of faith that I struggle with. In fact, I would go so far to label myself as a hypocrite. There you go. Talk about your pastor over lunch. Because I know that there are lots of areas of my life that don't match up with the confession of my faith. I know there's lots of bits of the Bible that I say that I believe in, and yet I look back at my life, and I look at my life now, and I'm not sure how to square my life with what looks like a circle in the Bible. I know that I'm not living integrous with elements of the Bible. Sometimes people accuse the church of being hypocritical, of which my suggestion is, if we're a Christian here today, we probably just put our hand up and say, yeah, like we're, we're hypocrites because we don't do everything in the Bible. 
But also we probably need to say to those who are outside the church, our suggestion very gently and very kindly with a smile on our face is that you might very well be a hypocrite as well. <laughs> because we all have creed that we say we are important. The most important thing is just to be honest. If you're honest, everything's fine. So you ask that person, well, have you been honest for all of your life in every matter with your thought, word and deed? Well, well there have been, mo okay. Are you truly an atheist and nothing happens at the end of, your, end of your life? Do you truly live in line with that worldview that says no one will be accountable for anything at the end of your, are you truly living an integrous, well, it's, you just got to be faithful. It's all about family. Are you faithful with your deeds and with your thought life in everything? You, you see where we're going here. I want to suggest that Christians and those who aren't Christians, all of us at some level are hypocrites. I know that there are areas of my life that actually I could look at and say that area of faith is quite fruitful. I can see life budding from that element of my faith. And I also look at my life and think, I know that I need the life of Jesus. In, there are some dead branches in my own faith life. And here is the good news. And this is how we get this kind of faith. The good news is this. It's not actually our faith that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. And there is one man, the only man who has ever walked on the face of the earth, who has actually lived in line with his belief completely. There is only one man who has lived completely with integrity in thought, word and deed. And his name is Jesus. There is only one man who says, I believe the scriptures and everything about him from the moment that he was born to the moment that he died to the moment that he was resurrected from the dead, lived in complete integrity with everything that was laid out in the scriptures. You could not find a fault one inch to the left or to the right in anything Jesus even felt about his own life let alone did and in christ we have the faithful one the one who lived in faith perfectly for us and as we put our faith in him his life becomes our salvation so it is not your faith that saves you faith is just a conduit by which we get attached to the one who did live real faith so as I've got older, I've, I've stopped paying attention so much to my faith. In fact, if I can put it like this, I've lost some faith in my faith. Because I'm just not sure what areas are doing well at any given time and what areas are doing badly. But I know this, that Jesus is my perfect righteousness. And I will keep my eyes on him. So I take my eyes away from my heart, away from my faith. And Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you just look to Jesus. Stop thinking about your, your heart. Stop thinking about your own faith and look to Christ. And he has accomplished everything, even the things that are outside of his control in his resurrection. He was raised by the glory of God the Father, we're told in Romans 6. And he has done everything for us. So as long as we just look at him we will begin to walk in real and living faith. Which I think is good news, isn't it? It's all in Christ and Him alone. So as we close, we're, we're going to sing this song again and we're going to respond by taking our eyes to Jesus and we're going to build our life on Him.
And I wanted to invite you, for a few of you, just to think about this for a moment. That if you're not a Christian and you generally think, like, believe in yourself, work hard, that's... Would you just take a moment to ponder Jesus? Is it possible that this one man who has lived with integrity could be your righteousness? And for some of us, there's going to need to be some repentance, some turning away from ourselves, a, a, a quitting of continual introspection as to how we are doing before God. For some of us, that's going to be a moment of repentance and for us to gaze at the glory of the faith-filled one, Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a, a reiteration of faith from first to last. For some of us, this is going to be a moment of realising that I, I do believe that it's only faith. But there are some elements where I am not acting out my faith. So as we gather to Jesus, my encouragement is just maybe to drop your emotional guard and allow Jesus to speak to you and to, to change you. Amen.